0: Come
1: That was the voice of W.J. De King, South Sudanese musician and peace activist, and this is episode four, Seeking Safety, in the series Savannah to Suburbia, South Sudanese Australian Stories. In episode three, we heard of the experiences of the lost boys who were caught up in the second civil war between the North and the South in Sudan. My name's Jennifer Huxley, And in this episode, we'll hear first of the brutal split within the Sudan People's Liberation Movement, the SPLM, the second crucial event that took place in 1991. It's one that continues its savage destruction in the present internal civil war in the new country of South Sudan. For further information, including a timeline, map and other resources, please head to the page morningsidesoundproductions.com. Some stories in this episode have been told in Other Voices, where the original recordings were unclear.
2: Until there was a problem between uh, the leadership within the SPLA, the Sudan People Liberation uh, Movement. There was a rebellion within, uh, within that movement between John Garang and a, a, a man called Dr. Riek Machar and that happened uh, in 1991. It was around August and then we were told that the SPLA is split it into two. They call it the Nasser Declaration and they call the other one the Torit. Torit where that were where our leader John Garang stayed a uh, station with uh, is, uh part of the leadership, and Dr. Riek Machar was in Nasser. Yeah. So fighting escalated, and that was led to the uh, Bor Massacre, where a lot of people, including my father, yeah, my father was killed. Incidentally, it was the second day they arrived in my village. That is when my father was killed, and uh, a lot of people, including people who are related with me, they were killed. Uh, and people from my village actually they were chased out from the village and that's why you see us here in Australia it was not because of the war between even if the war between Sudan and South Sudan rebels contributed a lot then the 1991 they split within the SPLA cause a lot of problems, kill a lot of people, uh, including my father as I said before. So people fled the village and a lot of people um, moved to neighboring uh, uh, parts uh, like Bar-Gazal, some went to Equatoria, and some even came up to the refugee camp. Yeah, that is those who were in the village. It happened in the village back, but I was not there.
1: After 1991, there were two distinct groups of rebels, the SPLM under John Garang, still fighting against the North, and the rebels against the SPLM under Riek Machar.
3: Because I was still very young, and I heard that there was was a civil war by the time, really. Not really what is going on. She and we mean. Run away from the village, the rebel came in mm-hmm. from the um um Dr Riagmasha by the time he rebelled against the um the movement from the south SPLA, when Dr John Grang led the rebel, and the other rebel again rebelled against his own movement that's where the the rebel from Riagmasha came in. In nineteen ninety one which is called War Maskra. We were there and that's where we we ran away. Mm-hmm. A lot of people were murdered there and all the cattle had been raped by the rebels. So they came in as um an army and militia who everyone came to overrun the whole whole village. Yeah, oh. my father were there even though my mother was died earlier. I Did't know why he would die, but my father were there and stepmom, and we're done together here yeah. my um, sister was married by the time it was only me father and my stepmom my stepmom haven't had have any kid yet yeah, it was a start as um we we had the uh the the guns from the it's come from the the the, the north side because and we We had that there's um, a rebel coming to to raid the village and we moved. Even though we have a a soldier from the government, they come and try to rescue the the people. But the militia and all the other rebel were really huge in number, so they, they can't but they were tried because they give her a chance to run away. otherwise the one was would kill. <laughs>
1: This split in the SPLM is most broadly seen as the result of bitter rivalry, not just between the two leaders and their differing aspirations for the future of the South, but also as a tribal conflict between John Garang's Dinka and Riek Machar's Nuer. While this is one crucial aspect, the conflict has also engulfed many of the South's other tribal groups and subgroups. It's transformed previous patterns of inter-ethnic but socially regulated competition over scarce resources into politicised programs of unregulated, ethnicized violence. It also corresponds with a massive increase in access to modern weapons. For the lost boys and others who had had to flee to Ethiopia after the fall of President Mengistu and the outbreak of civil war there in 1991 – This new internal war created further dislocation as they were yet again shuttled from place to place over the next several years until most finally reached the relative safety of Kakuma refugee camp in Kenya.
2: And actually the government or the rebel, we we didn't call it the government by then, decided that the children would be safe if we take them out from Pachala. So that was... Early in 1992, because the fighting started in 1991 between within the rebel. And then, I think after five months, in February, we were taken from Bachala And there was no cars. There were no cars. We just walked from Bachala along the border. And we came through. There was also some of us were killed on the way. I think about 15 children lost their lives including the guides. There were three guides. Uh, we were soldiers. They killed them instantly before they killed the children, because they targeted them. First, because They thought if they don't kill them, then they will fire at them and they will be fighting between them. So, that happened that night and in the following day, we were taken to the town called Cafueta. Uh, uh, Cafueta is uh, is uh, is uh, near to Kenya so and then a lot of us did not stay there in Kafoida where the reason actually the the leadership were not actually because a lot of soldiers and it's a big town the Kafoida uh, the thing we will not be safe. they taken us to let's go Narus. so in narus that was around May, May 1992. Then the Sudan troops, or you call them soldiers, they attacked Kafoida And then they captured Kafoida. But Kafoida and Nairus, they are close. So the government thought the kid would not be safe. So this is the time we were taken to local Shioia we uh, were taken to Lugashugia, northern part of Kenya, and then we stayed there for a few, for few months. That was in May. We stayed there up to August.
4: So so, so what happened was, we, we arrived in one place, and we spent some months there, because we were we getting information from the rebels, from SPLA, saying, okay, this area is not secure. You guys cannot go there. So we stay there for a while, and then they'll say, okay, you go this way, we just follow the border, we just follow the border. From Ethiopia, we, we settle in a, a small place called Pashala. It's, it's part of Sudan. Everybody, the border of Sudan and Ethiopia. So, and then from Pashala, we stay there almost 1991, the whole, the whole year. And then around, believe September or something we started walking to to praise God Buma um yeah it's about two three months uh on foot but um I didn't I didn't I didn't there were some people who walked from Buma to Kapoita uh but I wasn't what what happened was because there were some um UN truck that came that night uh, to drop some food. So, and then, well, I, I, I sneak into one of those, uh, the truck.
0: <laughs>
4: <laughs> so I sneak into the, so what we do is we, we left the town early, early in, the, in the morning. It, it was in Boomer, so what happened, we, me, me with my other friend, we left the town, we packed our bag because we know, we know the time the truck we're leaving, going back to um, to, to Kenya because they pass from Kafoita to Kenya so I so we we, we hide somewhere in the bush and, and because the road is not safe the truck are not they don't they're not really moving very fast so you can actually it, it run and jump <laughs> yeah, roll up into the truck
5: <laughs> yeah
4: so I put my back on uh, because I was really, my foot was really um, uh, I couldn't move so I decided so what can I do? If I stay there uh, i may have to they may I may have to leave there for a while and then I may end up joining the army after that so and we came to capoda uh, we were in the truck we spent i think about about thirty minutes and the truck until moving and then there is a small place called uh narus um, it's between capoda and 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 Shoke, which is the Kenya. So we were um, laid down there in that small uh, small town. Um, and the whole group were <laughs> later on came through Kapoida. They spent, I think, a few months there in Kapoida. And they were actually uh, bombed. Uh, and many of my my friends in, in my group were actually killed. Some came with one hand cut, some with um, legs. So because the town was actually... Um, Inhabited by the uh, the SPLM, so the government were looking after them. So they it would, they would throw a bomb every morning. So it was just a random bomb. So because the town was captured from the government, I think it was a few years back, and the government was trying to, to get it back. So there was a bit of huge fighting going going on there. And then yeah, and then my brother came came later um, with the. Yeah, with those groups that were working to Kapoda, and then from Kapoida to Nairus. And then, yeah, so Naros became uh, a camp, a refugee camp, where everybody settled. Because we were, I think, uh, they thought it was in the border of Sudan. But, and then a few months later, the government moved into Capoida, So they kicked people out from Capoida, to come to Naros, And then the SPLM say, okay, you... We don't need refugees in Nauru anymore, because it's just like a few few hours from from capoeira, yeah. so the UN decided to move people to Kenya to Logashoki. Um, so I think it took us the whole day to walk there from six to six, and we were carrying a can of oil and, and, and food and, yeah. Um, yeah. but it became part of the life. we don't really like it right then. I, you know especially to me i didn't actually think of any any other thing that's going on around it's just it's just like a fun thing yeah, I except know. when you when yeah. when you're sick and you don't uh food and then you don't you know you know what else you would do you just you know try to endure and all this kind. It become, become part of the life, actually, from 1987 to 1991. It's just like a regular daily struggle. Um, you don't really expect anything to come from anywhere except the UN. When you see the UN coming, people will be excited and all oh, this. and uh, Yeah, because they will come with food and clothes and, yeah.
5: We left from there and walked to Capoeira. From there, I walked to Namule. That took me two and a half months. We had to walk from 3 in the morning until we could rest at about 12. You stayed there until around 4 or 5, and then again you walked. There were no shoes. We made shoes from tyres. We were in two groups. You didn't go out all at once because you didn't know if the war was coming, and maybe you would go into an ambush, and that would maybe kill you all. So I went separately from my brothers. The World Food Program and the Red Cross followed all the young kids. Whenever we stopped, they would bring water and food until we arrived. After Namule, I went up to Torit and then back to Namule by car. I stayed there in different places until
0: 1992 when I came to Kenya. <laughs>
1: Kukuma Refugee Camp was set up in 1992 in Kenya's northwestern Turkana County and has become one of the longest-lasting refugee camps in the world. It now houses over 150,000 refugees, mainly but not exclusively from South Sudan. Kukuma saw children born, boys grow into young men, girls become young women.
4: So, yeah, we are 92, I think. And then the the yeah the government started moving closer to the border, of Kenya. So this they take us again from Lokoshogun all the way to northern Kenya. So become Kakuma Refugee Camp. Yeah, I met the border in Kakuma. Yeah she has a different story because she came she came this diff, different way. Uh, she didn't go to, to Ethiopia. Because that year that was the year when a lot of older people were joining the army. Yeah. were joined the the the, the rival movement, yeah. so there was expectation that the government, you know, were after the the boys and they, that are ready to to be recruited into the army. Yeah. So, they, and you see a lot of people that were displaced that we went to Ethiopia yeah. to become there. Yeah, so we stay there for um, we start going to school, we start building our own houses. Uh, the camp was actually a little bit organized because it was surveyed, it was put in groups. So and then we become our group was group fifty. And and, and the good thing they did was they will put people in in, in in one community, people who are belong to one community or village or related, they put them in one group. So we become our group was group fifty, and that from mostly the IUR community from the village. Anybody we come from any refugee camp. We come straight to, to that group, to group fifty, and anyone from uh, YHL community, which is my section. And we are from the same family. family. Yeah. Um, <coughs> so that's when you know, my um, daughter I think was uh, because camp was that because it was more relaxed. We started yeah, you know we come we start getting mature. And, you know, we started looking after women. <laughs> and then when we came, when, when we were in, in Kalkuma, because it was, the group was divided into people-related, the conflict started between a uh, different group and uh, group. Yeah, because there were Nuer, Nuer were put in one area, and then Equatorial in one area, and Dingai in one area, and all these things. Yeah, one of the reasons was because in 91, when, when Riek Shah rebel, he started fighting the Dinka over there. So that, that hatred started coming back into the camp. People were divided. He's still in South Sudan, but he he, he rebelled and, and start organizing his own. But he was saying that Gereng is leading, uh, dictating everything because he's from Dinka, the majority. So he he was saying that what we can do, we, we need to fight for the South, not for the Sudan. That's what he was saying. And then Gareng said, okay, if we're if we doing that, and then we the vision is about changing the whole Sudan, let's say, to be a democratic to everybody We from the whole tribe. Let's say if the, if the South Sudan fight for themselves, imagine how many other tribes will fight for themselves within Sudan. Therefore, we do the same thing. The Eastern we do the same thing. The Nubian, and then it will become a never-ending war. So mm-hmm. that, that's what God was saying. But he was saying, no, Sudan is, is big. How can we fight for the whole, whole country? and we are Green Army. So why don't we just fight for the South, and we say we want South to be independent. Then Gonna say, okay, that will come later on as part of the agreement. If we talk to the government, the government will say, okay, you South, you can go, And then we can vote for ourselves as a referendum. But that would not be an agenda. So they, they, diff- they started about the difference. He said, okay, he left with some people, go to Newer area, organize the Nuer area, fighting the Dinka, Green area. People died. That message started coming up and in, flowing into the Kakuma. There was nowhere and Dinka fighting, thrown with the stone and the stick. People dead, actually, I think it was about 20 or both. Yeah. But the fighting in the camp, I think it was in 1996, 1996 yeah. three years later.
6: I was there for 10 to 11 years because we went there in 1992. I think the refugee camp wasn't good at as it's a refugee camp, but to me it was a bit better compared to the other places I went through because the UN organised a lot of things. There was a hospital in the camp. It wasn't that good, but it provided service. The UN also worked very hard to make sure there were schools. A primary school, a preschool, secondary school. My first school started in Ethiopia, but in such a short period of time it was just letters like the alphabet and numbers. In Kukama is where I started going to school. The life wasn't normal. I was still missing my parents. I was living like an orphan.
1: While the lost boys and so many of the others who had been displaced by the war were finally able to settle into a more stable life, the war continued in the country they had been forced to leave behind. This second civil war didn't end until 2005, when a comprehensive peace agreement was signed between the North and the South. At this moment, the vision of John Garang for a united Sudan with greater autonomy for the South appeared to be realised. He was inaugurated as first vice president of the newly peaceful country. Six months later, he was killed in a helicopter accident. The shock was immense. Many cried assassination and foul play by the North. Despite the official finding of a government investigation, that the crash was due to bad weather and human error, suspicions linger. So does the memory of grief, captured in this song about the death of John Garang.
0: O man, young, dear wife, cowheny, banjo, no just so garang. Ma biura tomorrow, I go to Garang, dear, keban, tau ton, deng nyal wante, mideng wega kin kang bayui, garang. O ma biura tomorrow, I go you know it was a
2: terrible time also let me just say, say it a bit because this time that is when we lost our leader dr john mm-hmm. the day i left kakuma mm-hmm. well the day he died with a helicopter crash on the 30th of july 2005 so that is when our leader who fought the war for 21 years and this is uh, a great memory, actually, for me. This day, I call it sometime a terrible day, uh, because when we lost him, we thought actually everything gone. Uh, the peace agreement was signed in in January. This that is called the Comprehensive Peace Agreement between uh, Sudan and South Sudan, uh, and that is when the time we we start having uh, the autonomous government and he was sworn in as the first by president of the Sudan So, and he died on that day it was terrible I was crying when I was on the way to Nairobi I was crying in the bus with a lot of my South Sudanese uh, who were traveling with me we cried a lot we said the war actually is going to start again the peace will not be honoured, because we, we hold him dear, Dr John Grangmobile, we hold him dear. We thought there could be no, another leader like him.
1: Nevertheless, over the years in Kakuma, the war became a more distant background. Although Kakuma, like Pinado, began as a refuge for the lost boys, it gradually began to accept others, including families, and some kind of normality was established.
5: In 1994, I finally heard about my mum, and where she is, and my sister and my brother's wife. Still no communication, I just heard it from other people. In the same year, towards the end of that year, they came to Kakuma. That's where we reunited. It was wonderful. It was wonderful, and I was excited, and sad, because even my mum didn't manage to identify me, and I wasn't able to identify her, because I left at such an early age. It was terrible, but life was a bit better after that though it was still hard. I started going to school regularly now. I was there with my mum from 1994
4: to 2004. So, yeah, it's coming back to the happy ending. So I met, I met Davora. Um, I think uh, uh house was not far from my, well, just for a couple of black other uh, Yeah. So I always you know, see her oh, nice, beautiful <laughs> little girl walking around there from her place to the water tap, carrying foot.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
4: so but that time I was really not focused on that, I was um focused on education. But when I when I learned that I was going to for the resettlement so then I, I start talking to her, this and yeah. <laughs> And plus, my brother were there too. Uh, so when we were in the in the camp, when we settled in Kakuma, because we, I was in a minor. the minor was all the boys living together. We we're grouped from different groups; they were put together. But there were a community where you know uh, women and families were settled. So there was this program called Redaban um, from. Redaban is from, uh, it, was, it's part, it was a different program, but it will take the little one, little kid. It was like a foster care. So it was like a foster care that they, the UN started. So they would take these little, little children in a the, in the minor camp and, and place them into homes. In, in, uh, so I was part of those groups. So I was taken from the minor group to the community. So and that's where yeah, yeah, Deborah was living. So so we met there, yeah, and then we yeah. start um, talking about you know what what uh, what what uh, all <laughs> so the love thing, yeah. And I say you know when I go to the US, I'll be sending you some letters and all this. And...
1: Gabrielle and Deborah are now married and living in Melbourne with their six children. I'm Jennifer Huxley, and this is Episode 4 of Savannah to Suburbia, South Sudanese-Australian Stories. In this episode, we've heard about the split within the SPLM that sowed the seeds for a new civil war in South Sudan, of the death of John Garang, and of the beginnings of normal life for the thousands of refugees. In the next episode, we'll hear about the journeys to Australia, and some of the issues being faced by resettlement and by younger generations. We'll also hear about the impact on people here of the new civil war now being fought, a return to chaos, destruction and famine in their old country that they thought and hoped never to see again. Thank you to W.J. De King for permission to use his songs and to the University of Edinburgh to use the song Death of John Garang, sung by Kadok Chan Amal from the Nilotic Prosody Project. We acknowledge Germa Caberde's 1997 paper Sedan, the North-South Conflict in Historical Perspective, and the 1997 paper, Sedan's Prolonged Second Civil War and the Militarization of Nuer and Dinka Ethnic Identities by Jock Maduk Jock and Sharon Hutchinson, as sources for this episode. For further information about the series and full-source references, or to contact us, go to MorningsideSoundProductions.com.
0: ta